0: First Samuel, the 24th chapter, we've been talking about the well, I, I didn't messed everybody up we've been talking about the life of David. There's so many wonderful parallels. Now, I know it's Old Testament and we live in the New Testament. We live under grace, and so I don't want to pull something from the Old Testament that would put us under the bondage of law. But that does not mean that the Old Testament goes away. It means that the New Testament builds upon what the Old Testament has taught us. And there are so many, from Genesis to Revelation, there are so many character issues in the Word of God, Old Testament and new. And for whatever reason... You know, some pastors are really good with healing, and they preach healing a lot, and they they pray for people for healing, and and some are are very good at salvation. They're always preaching salvation, and and it's like the Lord sometimes just puts on certain people an emphasis out of the word, and one of the things that the Lord has laid upon my heart to emphasize out of the word is the character that we walk in, the character of a man. Because I believe that most of the issues of our walk in God will be based upon the character that we display. People need to, even in life, just in the natural, let's exclude, let's just exclude the gospel for just a moment. How many like to work with a charlatan that you know you can't totally trust when you're in a business deal? And you know that if you don't keep your eye on them, you're going to have a problem. You ever had anybody count your change back wrong and shortchange you? It's not a good feeling, is it? You ever had someone tell you one thing and it turns out it's another? You see what I'm saying? So character plays an important role in life. And God is the author of good character. And we can draw some really good uh, analogies from the life of David. Let me say this, in the middle of all of the good things we can pull out of David, we can also find some real monumental mistakes. And some weren't even mistakes, some were intentional sin. (laughs) And so here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you achieve in life or what position you achieve in life. If your character doesn't match it, you'll have a deficit. And that deficit will cause you issue in all the other areas of your life. I've often seen people whose talent takes them to the top. You can be talented, and you can can dazzle people with the talent that you have, but if your character doesn't measure up, your talent will take you someplace that your character cannot keep you. And rising well, star- boy, I'm going to say it. Boy, I heard, I heard that, Holy Ghost. Rising stars in the church are no different. You can, by talent and by anointing and by calling, be recognized for a gifting that you have. And sometimes in leadership, we often make the mistake of being dazzled by the talent And bringing a person to an elevated position before their character's ready. And then once they get there, they have all kinds of issue trying to live up to that thing that God's called them to do because their character was not yet developed to sustain them in the gifting God has given them. Is this okay? And so if if I'm not allowing myself to change and be changed and work on measuring up to what the word says I should be, then I'm wasting my time. And so as a leader, like David was a leader, as a leader, you have to be able to not only gather people and influence their life, you've got to be You've got to be attentive to their life to make sure that you're not just doing this for your own personal self-gratification so that you look good. Because the job I've been given, the job that, that, that David had, was to bring the best out of you. Why? Because there were people along short spurts of my life who tried to bring the best out of me. And then there's just been times when the Lord just demanded the best out of me. And so David was this kind of a leader. He could take men who were scattered and everyone else gave up on and everyone else counted them out and called them ragtag, white trash. Come on, we just, we just, we'll just throw it out there. People who just didn't, didn't have it going on but he could bring them together and convince them they're a mighty army. Why? Because he knew that in the desert, on the backside of a desert, dealing with his father's sheep, God developed in him a warrior when there was no other other human enemy around, just animals. But God was building in him a character. And when he faced Goliath, he was the man who walked into the battle. Even though he was a youth, he walked in with character. Everyone else was rattling in their boots, and he's like, who's going to shut this big mouth? Who's going to shut him down? Even the king, rattling in his shoes, tried to arm, arm him so that he wouldn't get hurt in the battle. He had to shake it off and said, you know what? I don't like your armor. I don't trust your armor. I ain't using your armor. I'm going to trust God and his armor. And he went into the battle and accomplished something no one thought was possible. And that's the man we're talking about today. I'm going to hit some things. It's going to get pointed. It's going to get wild. It's going to get crazy. You're going to be mad. You're going to like me at the end. You're gonna you're gonna throw a rock one minute and kiss me the next, but we are gonna do it. First Samuel twenty four, verse one. Now this is when David was dwelling in the strongholds of the Engedi. In it, wild, out in the plains of the Engedi, back with the animals. And this is during the time that David has already taken Goliath out and been assigned to Saul, who has lost his position. God has already judged Saul as a leader. God has already judged him and already taken from him the authority of the kingship as far as God is concerned. But Saul is still in the office, still wearing the mantle. Okay? And so David, in the midst of trying to bring comfort to the king, almost got speared. In playing songs that would drive the demons away from Saul's tortured mind, Saul decided to get an evil eye towards David and take him out because he knew David was anointed to take his place. People get jealous over position, and when they do, Sometimes their intent becomes murderous. And that's on either side of leadership, coming up the mountain or going down the mountain. It's on either side. When you're trying to become something, you can get jealous of those at the top. If you're already something, you can get jealous for those who are trying to climb the ladder. And the truth is there's room enough for us all. So why are we getting all bent out of shape and beat up over some little title that means nothing in the body of Christ? What matters is what we do with the talents and the gifts that God has given us. I'm having fun already, and I ain't even got into this. So here we go. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men among the rocks of the wild goats. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but there were seasons of war. And this is a season of war, and Saul has already faced the Philistines, but he gets he gets wind that David is in the region, and he's thinking, well, we're already suited for war. Let's go after him. Verse 3, he came to the sheepfold on the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve him. Now David and his men were sitting in the cave Cave's innermost recesses. In other words, they were way back into the cave. David's men said to him, Behold, the day of the Lord said to you, Behold, the day the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as seems good to you. Then David arose in the darkness and stealthily cut off the skirt of Saul's robe. Now, in the natural, remember, David's been made an enemy, unrighteously so. His heart is pure towards Saul. But now, he's in a he's in a situation where he's in the cave, and and those that are with him are going, David, guess what? Your enemy, he's here. This is your chance. You see, they all believe in David. They're following David. They recognize the the leadership qualities and abilities in David. And they know he's anointed king. So in their mind, how do kings rise and fall? Well, you just take what you want. That's how the world does it. Look, just, just study Rome and see how many of the leaders were murdered. Huh? Oh, look at this. And David's men said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as seems good to you. Now, that's a word that came from the Lord. But that enemy right there are the enemies of Israel. But these men just see anyone who comes against David is a worthy opponent and should be taken out. Then David arose in the darkness. Why? Because he got some counsel. Oh, be careful who is giving you counsel. Then David arose in the darkness and stealthily cut off the skirt of Saul's robe. Verse 5, afterward David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. He did it and then went, oh, my goodness, what have I done? That's what I'm calling this message. Look at your neighbor and say, what have I done? Now, be careful, because you could get all kinds of answers. Verse 6. Now, his heart has smote him in verse 5. Verse 6. He said to to his men, these are people loyal to him, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my master, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand out against him when he is the anointed of the Lord. Listen to this. He's saying until God says Saul is through, I'm not about to put my hand against him. And he is repenting before those who follow him that he took wrong counsel. So David checked his men with these, these words and did not let them rise against Saul But Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and did obeisance. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, David seeks to harm you? Behold, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today in my hands in the cave. Some, some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put forth my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 11. See, my father, see the skirts of your robe in my hand. Since I cut off the skirt of your robe and did not kill you, you know and see that there is no evil or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me upon you, but my hand shall not be upon you. And as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom the king of Israel come out, after whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? He's saying, I'm nothing, king. I'm nothing compared to you in your anointing of the Lord so why have you made me an enemy verse 15 May the Lord be judge and judge between me and you He's other words in other words he's saying I will not put myself in a position to judge you I don't have a right I will leave that up to God but know that my heart is pure before you May the Lord be judge between and judge between me and you and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of your hands. And when David had said this to Saul, Saul said, Is that your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Sometimes conviction comes simply when we do the right thing. And he said to David, you are more upright in God's eyes than I. For you have repaid me good, but I have rewarded you evil. You have declared today how you have dwelt, you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord gave me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, for if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away unharmed? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done for me this day. And now, behold, I will, now, I will know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Who, is de- who just declared him king? The only person who could hand it to him in the natural in this life the only one who carried the authority to make another king. Man, I'm having fun. And now behold, I well know that you shall surely be the king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. Swear now, therefore, to me by the Lord, that you will not cut off my descendants after me, that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David gave Saul his oath, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Help me, Father, in a very quick time to get get communicated what needs to be communicated out of this message. For, Father, there is something in here that is life-giving, and strength. And God, I thank you that you're going to teach us some unpleasant things, some pleasant things. And Father, you're the judge between those things. And you're going to help us today to advance your kingdom forward. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. The one thing I really loved in the end of this is there was a repentant moment in Saul. A repentant moment. And in this, he declared, David, you are the righteous king. I am not. Promotion often comes in the hardest moment of your life. Oftentimes, it's when you've just passed one of the most difficult tests you could ever pass that God says, okay, come here. It's when your character stood and stood and fell apart. We're going to get into all that here in a moment. The last thing that I want to bring out there is the oath between Saul and David. The oath was this, don't let my family members die when you become king. Because it was customary of the other kings of the time. These are the first two kings of Israel. But it was customary of every other tribe, tongue, and nation. That when a, one king went away, if his successor wasn't his heir, but of a, another lineage, the former king's family would all be killed off so that there would be no rebellion. And he kept this oath. Remember who ate at the table of David? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. All right. I'm going to start this today with a question, is it important to be right or righteous? Is it important to be right or righteous? Because David was both. David proved himself to be both. Do you know that you can be right about an issue but handle it wrong? You can be right about issues but handle it so miserably that it blows up in your face. (laughs) We've all been there, haven't we? Oh, my goodness, the lessons I've learned from the mistakes I've made. How many have a grumbler? Be honest. You got a grumbler inside? Don't raise your hand. We all got a grumbler who lives on the inside of us. And that grumbler will talk you into all kinds of rebellion. Won't he? How many hear that? Oh, that's unfair. Oh, that's not right. Oh, he didn't do that right. Oh, he did. How many have ever been down that road? The, the enemy does it. You're, you're not alone. Slap your neighbor and go, whoo I'm not alone. I should have said hand, not just slap your neighbor. That could get dangerous. <laughs> but this is such an important issue. You can be right about an issue and cause such a horrible mess by the way you handle it. That you become unrighteous not unrighteous in your relationship to God unrighteous in the handling of the affairs that you're dealing with oh my goodness i could just feel it. it's like it's like someone's petting that cat and it's going because it's backwards <laughs> david's being hunted by someone he loved have you ever been betrayed by someone you love does that not hurt is that not the worst pain you've ever felt in your life? To have someone that you love and put your time and your effort and your heart into, and they just, they just spurn you, and they mock you, and they laugh at your moment of hurt, pain, suffering, heartache, and weakness. They make light sometimes of the station that you're in. David's done everything he can to serve Saul right. I mean, he took out, he took out Saul's greatest enemy and then, then takes a menial task in the palace of just playing music for the king. And then he's brought out to war with the king. And because a few people got a little overzealous in their praise, It turned this king's heart against him. The man he was serving with all of his heart. A man he recognized as the true anointed king. Knowing he's been anointed someday. But now he's just serving. It's okay to know your calling and your destiny and where you're headed. But let me just tell you, it always starts by serving. Always. So, Here we are. He's being hunted by someone he loves, and now here's a moment. It appears that David was about to be vindicated after all of this, of Saul's hunting him down, chasing him down, trying to cause havoc, trying to take his life. Yes, Saul would have ran him through with a sword. Saul would have had him killed. Saul would have done him in. That was the intent. He had a murderous uh, intent in his heart against David. And now David's just relaxing in a cave, and guess who shows up? The one person that's causing him grief and trouble and heartache. And David is right. David's heart has never not been right towards the king. But now, there are those around him that are saying, hey. Remember when the Lord said all of your enemies are delivered into your hands? Remember? Be careful when you have a word. Make sure you know how to decipher that word. Because God never, ever ordains treason. If this wasn't expensive, I'd drop that right there. God never ordains treason. That's what got us in this mess in the first place, in the garden. So here it looks like David's been vindicated. He's just relaxing in a cave, and suddenly Saul comes in. He's tired. He's worn out. They're traveling. They're chasing David down, and he's sleeping in the cave, in the cool of the cave. And everybody around him goes, hey. There it is, David. That's that opportunity you've been waiting on. Here it is. It's your time. We're ready, king. Come on. We'll serve you. We'll go with you. We can't wait. Go get what's yours. Go ahead. Grab your destiny. Come on. You can imagine how that must have felt. Grab your destiny. You're anointed king. Everybody knows it. They'll accept you when you come back. They'll understand this was an act of war and that you are the rightful king. Those are the things that you get from those who follow you sometimes. That's the advice you get from friends sometimes if they notice and recognize there's a little gifting and ability in you. But those people aren't worried about your character. They're not worried about you getting to your end goal or how you get there. They just want you to get there. But they don't understand that God is a God of order. Mm -hmm. So he was urged by his followers, those under his influence, loyal to him, that this is your chance to take the throne. That absolutely was an option that was given to him. It felt good. He's thinking, I could... I could end this and take what God has promised me, and no one would blame me for doing so. Everyone knows I've been wronged. Everyone knows that I've been loyal. I've been under siege. I've been pursued. I've been hunted like a criminal for trying to love the man who wants to spear me for soothing his demons. Now I've been delivered an opportunity, number one, to take out my enemy. How good does that feel to take out an enemy? Number two, to take a promotion promised me. Number three, to set up my rule to prove Saul's time is through. To gather people who will agree with me that I'm vindicated and to show the nation who God favors. And he's right. (laughs) Doesn't that just mess with you? He was right. But do you want to be right or righteous? Oh, I'm going somewhere. I'm building something. Look at this. He was tempted greatly, and who wouldn't be? How many of you, let's be honest, if you could get your dream, whatever it is, just by shoving your neighbor aside, who would do it? Oh, and all, look at the righteous, holy people in here. We've all, we've all had that thought. We've all had that moment. It's like, if you just get out of the way, I could get done what I need to get done. If you just fall down a flight of stairs, it's all mine. Oh, you guys are so holy, you ain't never had that thought in your life. He was tempted greatly, but who wouldn't be? But David's heart convicted him to not touch God's anointed. You see, the word comes into play here. He was right. But to violate God's word to yeah. get what is right, rightfully coming to you is not righteous. He was right. But his heart was telling him what you just did. Had you killed him, had you done what you did, you would have stepped out of righteousness in favor of what seems right. I felt that across the room. This is heavy, isn't it? He could have done it. He could have been king. Many people would have accepted it, and they would have accepted him as king because they knew that he had been anointed king by Samuel. Saul had forfeited the right to rule because he'd done something in rebellion, and he was already judged. So the people would have accepted whatever David brought to the table. But again, do you want to be right or righteous? God brings promotion, not man. Now, he'll use a man who he has anointed and put in position to bring about your promotion. In his time. But promotion isn't just willy-nilly up to man. We got a committee. Let's down talk about it. Yeah. It's not up to us. It's up to God. Sometimes I know that that when it comes to bringing people, you know, in and handing a position, poor Pastor Steve and Robin, they really were fulfilling that position for a long time before we finally said, Hey, would you mind? They were already there. Their heart was already. They were doing the job without title, without reward, without accolade. They just were doing what God called them to do. But there came a moment when God told me it's time. Pastor Colleen and I had several conversations about that. It's time. And when we shared it with them, they said, oh, I don't know. Let us pray about that. No. They were ready because they knew it. It was in their heart, too. But they never once ever said it. Don't you love character like that? Amen. Amen. Let them know you love that. So Saul had had forfeited the right to rule. He's already been judged. But again, do you want to be right or righteous? Because God brings promotion, not man. God knows who to raise up, and when. Do you know when they got raised up? You want to know? This will mess with you. The Lord raised them up right at the leading edges of COVID-19. We were all headed down the highway. I don't know why we went down there to get a hot rod. And all (laughs) I captivated them. Steve bought that beautiful truck because he knew I needed a way to go get my hot rods. (laughs) But he raised them up in a time of fear and difficulty and hardship. When When the church doesn't know quite what to do or the people of God don't know quite what to do. And they need cooler, calmer heads in the situation. And we needed cooler, calmer heads to partner with us. Look at this. Mm. When we try to usurp the process of God's timing for our own self-gratification, we will reap the rewards of the right thing at the wrong time. Now, Now, get with me. Lean in. How would a murderer look trying to usher in the presence of God? We talked about that last week, David, dancing. How wonderful that display was when when he got it right. But what now if everybody knew he killed Saul? What if everybody had that in the back of their mind? He murdered Saul. In a vulnerable moment. Because it would have been murder. Because it would have been premeditated. He wasn't just taking the king. He wasn't just taking his position. He was murdering. God's anointed. Who held the position. Mm, Sometimes we can assassinate the character. Of someone else. And pretend like it was all right to do so. Oh, you you all look nervous today. I promise you, this is not pointed. I promise you, this is the word. This comes out of the word. This is where I was going. So look at this. How anointed would David have been murdering a kinsman? David was the most anointed king of Israel. How anointed would he have been if he murdered a kinsman? Remember when he did that later? Huh? When he did that later, although he didn't lose his office, though he came to a repentant heart, there from that moment on were uprisings and rebellions that were loosed in Israel because disobedience opens the door to witchcraft. And for the remainder of David's days, there was always an undercurrent and an underrumbling in the kingdom because of what he'd done. And although God gave him favor and God forgave him for the sin that he had committed, sometimes the people can't forget. Mm. In fact, his own son, Absalom, tried to challenge David for the throne and many were ready to follow him. David repented for this sin and he was forgiven, but the act was never forgotten and the hearts of many were never enthusiastic about their king after that stunt. To think he could have started the whole thing this way. Would David's star still be flying over the kingdom had he taken it by murder? When we try to build up our ministry by tearing down someone else's, we set ourselves up to supersede the timing of God. Is this okay? To jockey for position by undermining someone else's position when casting shadows of doubt about that person or ministry in the eyes of a brother is two things, sin and wrong spirit. Romans 16, 17 through 18 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord, but their own appetites, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. That word their naive, just simply means those who don't know. Well, it's real easy for someone to be naive in a situation. They don't know everything that's going on. And you come and you introduce something about somebody else. and You say it in a negative fashion and you can lead them into something that they would have never thought of or ever dreamed of or ever found hard to deal with in their life. Look at this. Proverbs 6, 16 and 19 says, there are six things the Lord hates. Then he comes back and says, seven that are an abomination. Mm. Now, that word abomination means something that causes distrust or hatred. This is the words of God, six things that God will distrust you for. Six things God will hate if you do. The first one is haughty eyes. In other words, pride. Pride. The second is a lying tongue. To be haughty and then to lie? And you know, I know nobody thinks this happens, but even in the church of Jesus Christ, people lie. Huh? And all of us have told a little white lie, right? Do you know there are no little white lies? A lie is a lie. (laughs) The next thing is hands that shed innocent blood. This is what David overcame in this circumstance. A heart that devises wicked plans. Mm. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Or a false witness that breathes out a lie. And this one, in my opinion is like the cherry on top of the things that God despises. And one who sows discord among the brothers. The brothers. One who causes trouble, stirs up things, gets things going spreads around so many things that nobody knows what to believe. And because they're naive to the situation and don't know the inside track, you can make it sound like you know the inside track. And so you run around spilling it. And then when you spill it and you cast shadow on this thing and shadow on that thing and shadow on this thing, pretty soon it seems as if the whole thing is unhealthy when that's not even the truth in the least. Is everybody with me? Have I lost anybody? Here's the last point. We're down to it. How many things we can do in five minutes? How many believers are in the house? Ah. Here's the next thing that, that, that leadership in the natural and leadership in the church, it's all the same, it all pans out the same. Go through. And that is the first thing I told you was sin, and I gave those to you. The second thing I told you was spirit, and here's the spirit I'm talking about. It's called the Jezebel spirit. It's a spirit, and it's not, it, this is not a male or female thing. This has nothing to do with gender. It has to do with a spirit that loves to pervert leadership. Everybody still with me? Have I lost anybody? Is anybody picking up rocks in the parking lot? Somebody let me know. I need the security when I leave. <laughs> only the Jezebel <laughs> I love it I don't believe there's any in here okay but, but you know it's because we're all in the parking lot yeah there you go alright look at this it's a spirit that loves to prefer leadership by undermining those in charge doing so by casting doubt upon the motives and the character of the leader now, just na- just think of some leader in this church, and, and you'll get the idea. All you got to do is start saying something that seems a little negative. Or if you had a negative experience, and you just run around and tell it to everybody, do you know the only person to take a negative experience to is the person you had the negative experience with? That's the only one. That's the only one. Because if you, if you say it, if you dare repeat it to somebody else, you're getting yourself into a very dangerous situation. You're crossing a line that you shouldn't cross. And so we've been very, very strong about that in this church, that if you, if you do that, if somebody, if somebody comes to us and they, they've got something odd against a brother, when you come to Pastor Colleen and I, if you come to Stephen and Robin, you've come to the right place because we're the leadership. We're the only people who can change a circumstance in this ministry. We're the only ones that have that authority to change it, to fix it. And so if you bring something to us, that's great. But if you have an ought with a brother, go to the brother because the brother may not know they've offended you. They may not know they've caused you heartache. And if they do, wouldn't it be better to just confront it and talk about it and work it out? Confrontation doesn't mean fight. Confrontation just means facing. Is this too hard? I'm almost done. I promise you I'm almost done so they often do uh, undermine leadership by casting doubt upon the motives and the character of a leader whether at work or a committee or a spiritual headship they will even lie they will even lie they will even lie to influence those around those who who don't know and aren't privy so they'll lie why they want power They want the power of the leader, but they don't want the process of becoming a leader. And this is what David was dealing with in the cave. He could have usurped the process. Did you know that it wasn't very long after that encounter that David was the king? That day, Saul declared it in the next war, Saul was dead. but he could have usurped it all right there out of the timing of God to be right instead of righteous. Mm. Now let, me, let me finish this. I'm talking about a Jezebel spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, relax. Don't say Jezzy. Just say, relax. That's a joke. They want to build a shortcut to the top. They often make themselves look good and smart and available when the leader is too busy for you. Oh, my goodness. Did I say that? My wife says, say that again. They want to build a shortcut to the top. They often make themselves look good, smart, and available when the leader is too busy. And they operate it now that everybody's going Oh, Everybody's looking at themselves going, is it me? I see suspicious eyes moving around. Stop that. Stop that. Here's the, here's the thing. We're not fighting each other. This ain't about each other. This is about a spirit. We're going to bring. How many would it just side with pastor? We're going to bring that spirit down. We're going to bring that spirit down. Look at this. So look at this. David, although given the opportunity in that moment, he wouldn't create an Ishmael. If you're familiar with that story, how Abraham created a child that wasn't the promise, trying to get to the promise. In this moment, David has him where he wants him, his biggest enemy in his life. And all he can do is cut off a little piece of his clothes, and then when he does, he just begins to weep. he wouldn't create a shortcut to the throne. Instead, he repented to those he had influenced and displayed a right heart before them and before the king who was trying to kill him. He made himself a man of no reputation. Remember, he got on his face. And on his face in humility, he used his near fatal mistake as an opportunity to repledge his heart to God's process and to show favor not only to the king but to his descendants after he, the righteous king, takes the throne in God's timing and selection. He gets to the throne the right way. Healthy leaders stay with the process. Healthy leaders allow God to be God, even when it feels like I'm going to die in the process. I'm going to share a quick personal story, and I will make it quick because I am on my time. It's 12012. It changed. Many, many years ago, Pastor Colleen and I were serving in Pastor Steve and Robin's position in a vibrant little work in independence. And our church got into error, and our pastors, who we loved, we spent so much time with them. But our pastors, who we loved, got into sinful practice began leading the church into sinful practice and then merged the church with another church and another man and then there was two heads how many know you can't have two heads it's a monster and so two men who were really trying to build something out of human want out of human desire trying to be right instead of righteous, trying to, to think that two heads are better than one and we can do more and we can get together and we can make great things happen. Only caused. I can't judge the one pastor. I don't know all of his life. I just know some things that he's done that I felt were apart from the word of God. But my pastor, I knew heart to heart, nose to nose. I'd been in the battle with him. I'd worked with him. My heart was tied to him, I was tethered to him. And I came to him because I had the right to, as Pastor Steve and Robin have the right to. I came to him and said, Pastor, you're getting in trouble. You're getting in trouble. Let me help you get out of trouble, sever this relationship and pick up what is rightfully yours and stay on the path of righteousness. Don't usurp the process of God. Not physically, but spiritually, I got a javelin thrown at me. And was disassociated from that relationship. people came to me in that fellowship who were feeling disgruntled and they asked me would you gather us together and let's build a church but my pastor was still pastor I was disassociated, but the timing wasn't right. Nor would I raise up a rebellion against him. And I refused. And it imploded and my heart broke. And I woke up in the night in sweats with dreams and visions of things that were destroying my man of God. And I did not rejoice but hit the floor in travail, begging God to heal my man of God. Help him, Lord, he's in trouble. Am I telling the truth, Pastor Colleen? Woke up writhing in pain, crying. Oh, my gosh, my guts were twisting out. My man of God, if he's not careful, will miss not just his place in the kingdom, but he will miss the kingdom itself. And people wanted me to start something. And in the natural, it felt like I should because they needed a shepherd. I said, I can't. I cannot. Six years later. God said, now's the time. And we left the man and woman that we were serving then, With their approval. With their blessing. To raise up. What God had called us to do. I chose to be righteous instead of right. It's not always easy, but it is always the right thing to do. Father, I thank you for these under the sound of my voice. I thank you for these beautiful people. I thank you, Lord, for these beautiful hearts. Father, I never, ever have an evil eye towards anyone else. I guess I'm like David, Father. I want to believe the best in everyone. I always have. And Father, there are those, Father, like me, who are in the process, and we're trying to do the right thing, and we want to do the right thing. We don't ever want to, we don't ever want to do it wrong. Sometimes we need your guidance, we need your help, we need your strength, we need your teaching, we need your patience, and we need, Father, your blood to cover our mistakes sometimes, even the ones that we make on purpose. God, it's with a righteous heart that I stand and declare that the spirit of Jezebel is broken in this place. Not even knowing if there is one, but I do know this. I know that any place there's righteousness, Jezebel tries to infiltrate. So we collectively as the body of Christ say no with the authority of Christ Jesus. You will not. You will not pervert Not only the leadership, but you will not pervert those that are gifted, that God is ready to promote and bring to a place of productivity in the kingdom. You will not. And we will not tolerate those seven deadly things that God despises. Father, our hearts are pure before you. We cry out your name to help us to stay with your process, to not usurp it, to not use our want or our desire to get something illegitimately. Let there be no Ishmael, not only in Passion Church, but in the body of Christ. It is time the remnant arises and we shake off churchianity and reach for true Christianity. We don't want it our way, we want it your way. Those of you who are viewing today, you want it God's way, don't do it your way. It only ends in destruction. Don't, don't be destroyed and don't be a part of destroying somebody else let's let God be God he's the judge between a righteous and unrighteous king let God do the judging let's stay out of God's arena his robes don't fit us father I thank you for these if you're here today The enemy's been coming at you and lying to you and trying to cause you heartache or trouble or pain or speak things to you that hurt or to discourage you or to try to run you away or to try to just cause you to give up on life. I want you to know that is not the heart of the Father. If you're being agitated, even within the body of Christ, it's the enemy. It's human will lining up with the enemy. It doesn't make anyone evil. It doesn't make anyone horrible. It makes us human. And if you're struggling today, please know the answer is in Jesus. Please know that. There's not a soul in the leadership of this house who will look at you in an ugly way or think ill of you if you need the touch of the Master right now. We're for you, not against you. If you're struggling in any way, it's not always easy to say yes or to admit While there's no one looking, would you just signify and say, Pray with me, Pastor, I'm struggling. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Now I'm going to go a step further. I need my prayer team to come.